0: What a blessing to see you all here this morning. Please take your Bibles, join me in the book of Genesis, chapter 1, as we continue gleaning from Genesis. We will consider day four of creation today. I hope this series has been as much of a blessing to you as it has been to me so far. If you missed any of it, please take the time to go online and listen to it. I didn't cover all of day three last week. I didn't get into verses 11 and 12 where God brought forth plant life, but I'm going to save those verses for a message further down the road in this chapter. So let's begin today by reading verses 14 through 19 of Genesis chapter 1. The Bible says, And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the fourth day. When we began this series, I mentioned how Genesis deals with the beginnings of so many things fundamental. It cannot deal with the beginning of God because God had no beginning. But there's another thing that Genesis does not deal with the beginning of, and that's the creation of angels. Now, let me be clear. I do not bring this up because I really want to address this. (laughs) I bring it up because some will try to fit... The creation of angels here on day 4 when God made the stars. I think the idea of connecting angels to stars largely comes from Job 38. In Job 38 verses 4 through 7, God was asking Job, Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Or who hath laid the measure thereof if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. And also in Revelation one twenty it says, The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Now, it is my very strong opinion that Revelation one twenty is talking about, when it mentions angels, it's talking about the pastors of the seven churches in chapters 2 through 3. I won't take time to show why that's the case, but I believe that very strongly. So, this really only leaves us with Job 38. When God laid the cornerstone of the earth, it says, The morning stars sang together, And all the sons of God shouted for joy. So as we think about angels, we got to ask ourselves a couple of questions. When did God lay the cornerstone of the earth? Are the morning stars and the sons of God both in the same group? Are they both referring to angels? Well, I'm not a builder. But if I understand what a cornerstone is correctly, it is the first stone, the most important stone, that is laid when you're making a foundation. Therefore, what Job 38 is describing is most certainly a reference to creation week, and it would seem to be a reference to the first day of creation because the cornerstone is being laid. Does that make sense where I'm coming from? And the morning stars and the sons of God seem to be in the same group because if these were literal stars, we've got a contradiction in the Bible because the stars are singing before they're ever created if that was on day one. Stars aren't created till day four. You say, well, do stars sing? Well, yeah, it's a scientific fact that they make music. But that's a whole other thing. So they seem to be in the same group here, being angels. But if both the morning stars and the sons of God are angels, there's no contradiction. But this would mean... <laughs> I'm going to confuse myself before I confuse you, okay? But this would mean then that angels were present... In the beginning, which might be problematic because Genesis 2.1 says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. Is the host of heaven just referring to the stars and the planets, etc.? Or does it include the heavenly host of angels? In Luke 2.13, at Christ's birth it says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God. The heavenly host there would be other angels. and Hebrews 1.6 says, says, when He bringeth the first begotten into the world, He saith, and let all the angels of God worship Him. But if all the host of them in Genesis 2-1 is not the angels, then it's no big deal, and you can forget what I just said. It's going to get more confusing. Hang on, shoot. However, if Exodus 20 11 says, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, that seems to suggest that the angels were created during the first six days of creation somewhere. So when were angels created? I don't know. I finally went to the internet for my answer. So I typed in, when were angels created in a Bing search? And it gave me a very definite answer. Are you ready? They were created in 1961. The Los Angeles Angels baseball team was founded (laughs) in 1961. So there you go. (laughs) Angels were created in 1961. (laughs) Seriously, though, here's the deal. I believe the mindset that is this. It's not so much important as when they were created, but why they were created. And since the Bible never expressly says when the angels were created, we'll just leave it there for now because I'm not going to do a study on angelology in the midst of a study on creation. So let's get back to our text and maybe we can find something that will actually help us this morning. Amen? Because so far this has been immensely useless to all of us. So we find here on day four that God made the sun, the moon, and the stars and set them in the expanse or the firmament of heaven to be for light upon the earth. Remember on day one, God had called light into existence and He separated the light from the darkness and He called the light day and the darkness He called night. And now God separates the day from the night which is seeming to build upon what was started on day one. In verse 3, God said, let there be light, singular, but here God says, let there be lights, plural. The Hebrew word for light on day 1 means illumination. And we spoke at length how God was able to have light without the sun. Amen. If He can speak it into existence, He doesn't need a sun to have to have light. The Hebrew word for lights, plural, here on day 4, it means a luminous body. So, it's going to be an object. God is going to now have objects in the sky which we can look at and attribute to the physical, visible light that we see every day and every night. Now, there was going to be rulers over the day and night. The greater light, or the sun, is to rule the day, and the lesser light, or the moon, is to rule the night. And along with the moon would be the stars also. And all of these are to give light upon the earth and to be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. These lights are intended for the earth, not for other planets. It is my opinion, we should not be wasting all the money that we are in the exploration of space and search of life out there somewhere. God's word is clear that He has set these lights in the sky for earth. There's a reason why earth is the only habitable planet. It's the reason why we are the only intelligent life. And the Genesis creation account would help a lot of scientists understand that the sun, the moon, the stars, they were put there for earth. That's what it says. To shine upon the earth. In God's perfect placement of the sun and the moon in the firmament of heaven, it allows our earth to sustain life. There really is no other logical explanation. Just for a moment, I want you to think about the placement of our moon. The earth, it is said to be 93 million miles away from the sun. The moon is said to be only about 239,000 miles away From the earth. I've got cars with more mileage than that. (laughs) Which means to me it's not that far when you think about if earth is 93 million miles away, the moon's only 239,000 miles away from us, it means this. There is only a 0.26% difference between the earth and the moon in relation in our distance to the sun. Did I make sense with that? Okay. And yet... Despite such a slight difference in distance, just look at the vast difference between the moon and the earth. The earth has bodies of water, an atmosphere with breathable air, plant life, animal life, and the moon has none of these. The average temperature on earth is about 57 degrees Fahrenheit, while on the moon the average daily temperature is 224.6 degrees Fahrenheit. That's balmy, amen? Amen. If you don't like that, you can go to the dark side of the moon where the average temperature is negative 243.4 degrees Fahrenheit. How can there be this vast difference between the earth and the moon while being so close together in relation to our sun? It's because God gave the sun, the moon, and the stars for the earth. The earth is just the right distance away from the sun. If we were closer, we would burn to death. If we were further away, we would freeze to death. And the moon is just the right distance to affect our ocean's tides favorably, which help with the ocean's cycles and currents, which in turn help regulate this planet's temperature. Everything has been placed just right to sustain life, and this isn't seen anywhere else. This isn't, this is what I'm saying, this isn't just some random happenstance from some cosmic accident 4.5 billion years ago but it is all because God has set everything in order for the earth. When we consider this, we can say like David in Psalm 8, 3 and 4, When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? This is a thought which has confounded many down through the ages. Stephen Hawking the noted theoretical physicist who had an astounding IQ of 160, a level so high that only 0.003% of the world will attain to. Even with that brilliant mind of his, he had this to say, quote, "...we are such insignificant creatures..." on a minor planet of a very average star in the outer suburbs of one of a hundred thousand million galaxies, so it is, diff- it is difficult to believe in a God that would care about us or even notice our existence." End quote. This so confounded him that by his own admission he became an atheist. And by all of his outward sentiments he would have died still being in his sins. What a shame to be blessed with such a brilliant mind and miss the simplicity that is the Word of God. And I want to tell you this morning that God does care about us. He notices us. He has ordained all of this for us. Because we are the only part of His creation made in His image. He cares so much about you that He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows your name. He cares about you. He cares so much for you that He came and He died upon the cross in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ to take away our sins, to give us an eternity with Him forever. And He did all of that knowing we never deserved it. Romans 5, 6-8 through says, "...For when we were yet without strength in due time..." Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for the ungodly, which is all of us here today, by the way. While some might love a good man enough to die for him, God, who is absolutely perfect and sinless, loved us enough to die for wicked sinners. What love. Don't ever doubt that God loves you. Now in all of this structure in our universe, we can learn that our God is a God of order. And all the OCD people said, Amen, Hallelujah, Praise God. I'm trying not to go there, so I'm just going to focus. I'm not going to get into our marital issues over my OCD, okay? From verse 14, there is the order of day and night, which turns into seasons. There is the order of the seasons, spring, summer, fall, and winter, which turn into years. And all of this continues along in order. 1 Corinthians 14, 40, let all things be done decently and in order. Night always follows day. There are always 24 hours in a day. Don't come to me and say, well, there's 24, point. 24 hours in a day. Seven days always makes a week. 52 weeks always makes a year. Summer always follows spring. Spring, um, summer always follows spring and fall always... Fo- <laughs> Let me try this again. Summer always follows spring and fall always follows summer. And winter always follows fall. Fall. (laughs) God is a God of order. (laughs) Amen. The sun always rules the day. So much so that even when the moon is visible during daylight hours, it is trumped by the sun. It always outshines the moon and the stars. The moon always rules the night as it shines brighter than the stars. It's God's order, and time keeps marching on. And so again, these lights were placed there by our God in order to serve the earth. The lights of heaven do not shine for themselves, but they shine for us in our benefit. Notice in verse 14, these lights are for signs. These lights really direct our actions upon the earth. We know when it's time to plant. We know when it's time for harvest. We don't have to guess at this. We know when it's time to sleep and rest. We know when it's time to be awake and work. I'm talking about normal folks, not you guys working third shift, okay? I've been there, done that. We're talking about just normal, happy people. (laughs) (laughs) I know how I felt, so (laughs) happy people. Ecclesiastes 3, 1 and 2 says, To everything... There is a season, and a time to every purpose under the heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. So before our modern times of electricity, almost all work had to be done during the daytime. Jesus said in John 9, 4, I must work the works of Him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. There is a natural circadian rhythm in all of us which tells us to work in the light of day. These lights are given for signs. that There is a time for us to work. Matthew Henry wrote this, How ungrateful and inexcusable are we if when God has set up these lights for us to work by, we sleep or play or trifle away the time of business and neglect the great work we are sent into the world about. End quote. The lights of heaven are for us, and they serve without fail. We make our calendars every year based on the faith that everything is going to function the way that God has ordained it to function. Many of you have already bought calendars for 2022. Boy, that's a lot of faith. We know it's going to happen. Because God is a God of order. He has set those things for earth, and it is going to come to pass. Those things are there to serve us. We know when the day is, we know when the light is, we know when we ought to work, and we know when we ought to rest. And the lights, they give light upon the earth faithfully. Where are you going with this? They serve as an example for us as God's children who have been left here upon this earth to do what? To shine as lights to faithfully shine the light of God in this world of darkness in which we live. Philippians 2.15 says that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Matthew 5.14-16 through Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. The heavenly lights, they serve us upon the earth, shining like they were ordained to do. And now we are upon the earth to serve the Father of lights to shine like we have been ordained to do. Is your light shining for God? We see in our text, in verse 16, that God made two great lights. The greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night. The sun is greater than the moon. In John 1.9, Jesus is called the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Jesus called Himself the light of the world. Jesus is therefore the greater light, and we are the lesser light. And now we understand this morning that the moon has no light in of itself, but that it relies on the sun and it reflects the light of the sun. And so it is with us this morning. We have no light in of ourselves, but any light that we may shine is only a reflection of the light. And all of our light that we reflect is borrowed from the sun, the S-O-N. Remember when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, He had been up there with God and he was receiving the law and he came down to the people and his face shone. He had been in the presence of God. He had got all that light of God and he was reflecting God's light to those around them. Isaiah 60 and verse 1 says, Arise, shine, for thy light has come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. About ten days ago, we had a lunar eclipse in our area. It was a near full eclipse covering 97% of the moon. It was the longest lasting lunar eclipse since 1440. It lasted about three and a half hours. Our household got up at around 1.30 a.m. and we went out on the front porch and we watched this thing. It was awesome. It was awesome. You watch as this full moon that's shining bright all of a sudden starts getting this reddish look as the shadow is cast upon it. They call it a blood moon. But listen, I want you to get this this morning. We are to reflect the light of the sun, right? We're like moon, a moon. But what happens in a lunar eclipse that causes the moon to stop reflecting the light of the sun? What happens is the earth gets in between the sun and the moon. And it casts a shadow upon it. Here's the deal with us this morning, folks we are to be shining the light of God. But what happens when we're not shining the light of God is we have allowed the world to get in between us and the S-O-N. And so we can't be like Moses who went up to the mountain and spent all this time with God and got so full of God that he's shining from his face so much that he had to put a veil upon it because he had spent time with God. But many of us, we're not shining like we ought to because we're allowing the world to come between us and God and we're not reflecting God's light. Something interesting about the moon is that we know it happens in phases. There's a new moon when you can't see anything. There's crescent moons, there's half moons, there's full moons. I wonder where you're at. We will stop reflecting the greater light of Christ to the fullest when we allow the world to get in between us and Jesus Christ. But if we would just spend more time with the sun then we would be a true reflection of Him and His light. And then we would stand out in this world of darkness. What happens to these white South Dakota bodies when they lay out in the sun too long? When I go back south, I tell them I've got a South Dakota tan. Amen. What happens is we get burned. We turn red. You know what? We take on the appearance of that which we had just spent the presence in. We are a reflection of who we spend our time with. If you don't like where your Christianity is at this morning, then it's only a reflection of where you are spending the most time. Amen. That's where you all help me preach. Now, husbands, I'm going to get up in your living room for just a minute. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 11:7 7, that the man is the image and glory of God, and that the woman is the glory of the man. In other words, the wife is the reflection of her husband. Therefore, if you don't like your wife, then take a look at yourself. Because the fact of the matter is she's a reflection of you. And a husband will actually leave his wife, break his covenant with her, because he says he can't stand being married to her anymore, and he can't stand dealing with her anymore. Aren't you glad God never gave up on us? When we weren't very lovable. But secondly, husbands, your wife is a reflection of your walk with God. It's a reflection of your spirituality and your leadership. She's only reflecting you, so don't get mad at her, but look at your own failures. Now, as I was saying, there's phases. They wax and wane, they increase, they decrease. As the lesser lights reflecting the light of the greater light upon this earth, what phase of the moon would you call yourself in today? How would you rate yourself? Are you shining bright like a full moon? Are you a half moon? Are you a crescent moon? Are you just that little sliver? Maybe you're in an an eclipse right now. How brightly are you shining Christ? Are you waxing or waning? In other words, did you used to shine brighter than you are today? And if you're one in here that just got saved, you're a new moon, you keep shining and you keep learning and you keep growing and you shine more and more until you become full. Amen. 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 Now, if you're in here and you would say you're experiencing a lunar eclipse this morning, then you're allowing the world to get in between you and the light source of the Savior. And you need to get back into the light of God so that you can shine full. 1 John 1, 7, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light... We have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. So your level of spirituality is going to be in direct proportion to how much time you're spending in the sunlight. How much time you're spending in the world. If you're desirous to shine brighter for God, then you need to come out from the world and be ye separate. God has set us here upon the earth, and He has ordained us to shine as lights in the midst of a sin-sick, darkened, crooked, and perverse world. How brightly are you shining? How much light are those in darkness around you seeing from you? Listen, you're not just at your place of work to make money. Tyler's trying to win me to Christ, and I'm trying to win him to Christ. and. <laughs> Listen, God put you in that place of employment so that you would be a missionary. You're the moon. You're in a dark area. You're you're the lesser light, but you're to be shining forth the greater light. How about your friends? Are you shining Christ? Your family? How much light are you shining? If you're without Christ, then just as God has placed the sun and the moon at just the right distance to sustain life upon our planet. So God has done everything just right for you to be able to have life in Christ. Christ died for you. He shed His blood for you to save you from your sins. And God is saying, come to the light and be saved. Maybe you're here, you need to become a new moon. You need to come to Christ today for salvation. And if you're in Christ... You can say, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I'm born again, I'm a child of God. Then evaluate what phase of the moon you are at currently. And I would ask you to do business with God accordingly. The lost don't know it, but they are depending on us to shine as bright lights in this world of darkness. Let's pray.